Genesis chapter 22. As pretty much is true of any chapter of the Bible, the ending of one chapter usually kind of sets up what's going to happen in the next. And that's definitely what we see happening here. Uh, at the conclusion of chapter 21, it says that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree uh, in Beersheba. And Beersheba, we remember, is where this well is. And uh, this tree is native to the, that part of the world, and it's kind of like an evergreen. And he plants this tree uh, by this well, and there he called on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. And then it says that Abraham lived as a foreigner in the land of the Philistines for many days. And so this lets us know that some time is spent there. Uh, from what I've read, people think that planting a tree indicates that he's planning on being there a while. You know, I know when uh, Julie and I moved into where we're living right now, we planted a lot of trees in the backyard, hoping that one day they would grow tall enough to where they would provide like a canopy of shade in the backyard. And uh, fortunately, we both live long enough now to see that. And so it takes some time. And so these are indicators that many days means that he stayed there for quite a while. Um, in chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, it says, after these things. So it's after the events uh, that precedes um, when these things happen in chapter 22. So if we think back on everything that's happened, uh, we, we bring ourselves up to chapter 21, the things we studied last week. There was three different parts to that chapter. And uh, after all of that happened, Abraham stayed there for quite a while. And then, after these things, the events of chapter 22 occur. Now, uh, God has appeared to Abraham uh, a number of times by now, uh, several times. Uh, in the beginning, he made a promise to Abraham that Abraham believed. It was uh, the kind of belief that was real. It was authentic. And we know that it was authentic because it bore fruit. Um, what did he do? He, he left what was home to him at the time and, and followed God's direction. So that was a kind of faith that had legs. It was a kind of faith that works. It wasn't just you said you believed, you know. And so a lot of people will say that they believe in God, will identify as a Christian. But here with Abraham, his life backed up what he was saying. He really did believe God's promise. But that was only the beginning. That's not the end of it. That was just the very beginning. You know, when we first put our faith in Christ, that's only the beginning. Because the Christian life is a very long journey that is full of tests. All kinds of tests. Uh, this is something that we've been watching play out in the lives of Abraham and Sarah for some time now. Um, if we look back over some of the events, and this is not all of, all of them, but uh, there was the test of leaving home. You know, uh, so you, you put your faith in God, you believe his promise, and then he asks you to leave where you live, to go somewhere else. And so they did that. That was a test. It was, just, it was a test to see what? What was it testing? If Abraham was a good guy or not, if... Abraham loved Ur. It was a test to 
analyze and observe his faith. It was putting his faith under a microscope to see exactly what kind of a faith it was. That's what we mean by a test. Um, we came to a famine, and the famine in and of itself was a test. It was a test for Abraham to trust God or not. It was a test for him to decide whether or not he was going to trust God and be honest. So we remember what happened there. This was a test. After he gets out of Egypt, him and Lot are very wealthy now, and their tribes are very large, and so large that they need to, they need to go into two different directions. And so there was another test that occurred between him and Lot um, about sharing land. And then Lot gets himself into trouble. And this becomes an issue where we have to decide whether or not we're going to be loyal to each other. You know, It would have been easy for Abraham to just say, well, Lot, you chose that spot. Look at this mess you've got yourself into. That's your problem. I've got my own problems. You're on your own. And so Abraham was called onto the carpet by God in this situation that developed. Something that he didn't have anything to do with. He didn't do it. He was not the cause of this. All of a sudden, a, create, a problem is created in his life, and his loyalty to Lot was called into question. And when he decided to go and help Lot, to rescue Lot, that meant war, which is killing people, um, being killed. And so this was another test where God had to trust God in war. And then after that, that miraculous victory, we remember that, again, Abraham was tested in a new way. He was tested with the spoils of war. We remember the king of Sodom, you know, was offering all of this wealth and stuff to him. Uh, just give me the people. You can keep everything you've, you've taken from all, everything these Mesopotamian kings have looted, all of these major cities. You can keep all those spoils. Just give me the people. Remember that. So this was a test. And he chose to go to Melchizedek, didn't he? And uh, uh, through all of these things, Sarah and Abraham are enduring this long-term test of barrenness where they don't have any children. So uh, you may have an overall thing that you deal with in your life and at the same time have individual trials. But this barren situation was one that was not going away. It never went away. And circumcision, this was something that Abraham had to decide to do. Everybody who wanted to be in that community of faith had to be circumcised. So this was a decision that all of these people had to make. And so this is calling their faith onto the carpet. What kind of faith do you really have? Is it real? Will it endure a test? And they had other times, uh, more than one occasion, Noah had to decide, or Noah, Abraham had to decide whether he was going to be a good neighbor. And we all have neighbors. Are we good neighbors? But probably the most difficult test of all was when he had to separate from Ishmael, which we saw last week. Now, this was a very difficult thing for him to do. Um, and all of these things that I've just described, all of these things that we've been studying, what have they done? They have strengthened Abraham's faith. In the beginning, Abraham was this guy, and now he's this guy. And the difference is that his relationship with God has gotten stronger deeper, it's enriched, and his faith is stronger. You know, when, when two people marry, um, if they will stick it out, if they will stay together 
through all of the things that happen, their relationship becomes stronger. The bonds are deep. And they learn to depend upon each other. Rather than it being my stuff and her stuff, it becomes one. It's uh, over time. You know? And so this is, this is what happens in our relationship with God. The longer we stick it out, the longer we stay with Him, the longer we keep being faithful, even though we don't do things we, you know, we all mess up, obviously, but I'm just saying over time, as we go through all of these trials, it makes us stronger. It makes our faith stronger. And so this is what God is trying to teach us by showing us so many details about the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And so uh, if we really want our life to have meaning, if you really want your life to have purpose, then we must under, uh, come to understand that tests and trials are brought into our lives for the purpose of teaching us to live by faith. That's why, to teach us to live by faith. Um, Habakkuk 2.4 says that the righteous will live by faith. And so uh, God's going to tell Abraham to do something pretty crazy in chapter 22. And Abraham is going to obey him. And Abraham's obedience to what God is going to tell him to do next, it can, can only be explained. It can only be, his obedience can only be explained with keeping this long journey in mind that God has brought him to a certain place. You know, that's the only way this is, has any uh, explanation whatsoever. So we're going to begin reading in chapter 22. This is a familiar story to most of us. Um, we're going to read the first three verses in chapter 22. After these things, after all of these things have transpired, after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here am I. So this gives us the impression that there had been some silence. Some time has passed, right? Uh, God was very involved in what was going on with Abraham in chapter 21. But now there's been some time passing. And what do we know has happened in those times? We know that he's been living at peace with his neighbors. Uh, he's around this well, this tree's growing. Sarah doesn't have any kids. Or does Sarah have any kids yet? Yeah. Isaac has been growing. Abraham has been raising up this boy. And all of that time, you know, watching your children get sick, and then you, you're there waiting on their hand and foot, hoping and praying, and then they get better, and then they get sick again, or they get hurt, and uh, the funny things that they say, um, just so many things in raising a child. You know? And that, that time, you just love them. They own you. So this is what's been transpiring. So here, uh, Abraham, uh, God's testing Abraham, and he says to him, Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So early in the morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and he set out to go to the place God had told him about. Now the land of Moriah is basically Jerusalem. It's that elevated area where Jerusalem is. So this was about 50 miles away. So we're going to take him a little while to get there. Uh, the land of Moriah is a mountain range. And on this mountain range we know is the city of Jerusalem. We know that there's a temple there. 
This is where God is going to eventually have a temple built. We also know that this is where Jesus is sacrificed. But there's, those two things happen in two different places. Jesus isn't sacrificed in the temple. Hebrews 11.19 tells us that he was, or Hebrews 13.12 tells us that he was crucified outside of the gate. Now, 2 Chronicles 3.1. 2 Chronicles 3.1 says that, Then Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. So this is talking about something we're not even studying right now. The Lord appears to David, isn't it? But there's a location that is specific in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where this temple is built. Solomon builds it there. Well, today, the Dome of the Rock is a mosque that is sitting on what they claim to be the actual rock of Genesis chapter 22. Uh, the Dome of the Rock is a, is a Muslim mosque sitting on what is believed to be the actual location of this temple. Now, Jesus was crucified outside of the gate. It wasn't the same place. So those two things are very important to keep in mind. I don't know if the Dome of the Rock has got the exact spot or not, but I do know that God is not distracted by those kind of complications. His plans are going to come through, and they always will and always do. So uh, we come to this Isaac, this boy. Uh, he's your only son whom you love dearly. You know, a test inherently means that it's something you don't want to do. It's something unpleasant. It's something that you would get out of it if you could. And all of us do that. You know, I used to act like I was sick to get out of piano practice, you know. When I was a little boy, you know. We always do what we can, you know, to get out of these, these messes. And sometimes God lets us out, sometimes he doesn't. But we, we want to make sure that what, what's happening to Abraham is a test that he does not desire. This is something that he doesn't want to do. And what God is asking him to do defies logic. So if someone asks you to do something that's not logical, what's your usual response to such a thing? It's to say no. If it doesn't make any sense to you, why would you do that? But Abraham begins to try to reconcile what he knows. This is something that we all have to do. We're in the middle of something. You begin to analyze the things that you do know. And so Abraham begins to juggle and try to reconcile what he knows about God, the kind of person God is, what God's promise is, what God promises to do, that, that the descendants that are going to come through Isaac are going to be as many as the sands of the sea, the stars in the heavens, the dust of the earth. In other words, so many you can't count. That's the promise. The promise is that this is all going to come through Isaac. And then you try to reconcile that with the command of taking him up onto this mountain and killing him and offering him as a burnt offering. Now, burnt offering means that the entire sacrifice is burned. Nothing's kept. It all was consumed in the fire. And how, do you, how do you get all that to work together? Well, Abraham makes quite an assessment. You know, uh, 
he comes up with the conclusion that, all right, I know who God is. And he's the real deal. He wants me to sacrifice my son. But that doesn't make any sense because my son's supposed to live and have children. He doesn't have any kids. So he figures one of two things, that God is going to create a substitute. Or he's going to raise him from the dead. You remember, we're going to read it here in just a minute, but as they're, as they're getting ready to go, you know, and they're, they're walking up the hill, just Abraham and his son. His son's like, you know, Dad, I see the fire and the knife and I see the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. See, so there was that aspect there of that substitute. Abraham had faith. But also... When he was leaving, he left his two men at the base of the mountain and he said, we're going to go up here, we're going to worship, and then we're going to come back to you. So if God did not provide the lamb, that meant that God expected him to go ahead and kill his, his only son. And if he did that, the only way he could fulfill his promises is if he raised him from the dead. Hebrews 11:19 tells us that this is what Abraham was wrestling with and those were his conclusions. If he doesn't provide the lamb, then he's going to at least raise him up. What would have been your assessment if God had said this to you? Would you have began with the solid given? You know, a, a, a given is that the sun's going to rise and the sun's going to set every day. That's a given. So in your assessment, would your given be that who God is? You know, it changes everything, doesn't it? If you know who He is and you know you can count on Him and trust Him, that really everything He wants to do is for the best. It's for your best. It's just, He's just the, he, God does not sin. He's not envious. He's not, you know, mean. He's just clean you know so when you start with a problem like this and you can't figure out the solutions one of the very first things that we have to do is start with the fact of who God is and move from there and so that's when he did that and that's why he was wrestling with the promise and the command because he'd already accepted who God is that's why his obedience is so staggering as we're going to see let's read the rest of this beginning in verse 4 on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the sacrificial knife and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father. Abraham said, I read that wrong. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and he said, My father? And he replied, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the two of them walked on together. And when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. 
He bound his son Isaac and he placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. And Abraham went back to his young men and they got up and went together back to Beersheba. Abraham settled back into Beersheba. Then the chapter ends with this. It says, And after these things Abraham was told, Milcah also has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, his brother Buz, Kimiel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jilaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore Teba, Gehem, Tehash, and Mekah. And that ends the chapter. When God commanded Abraham to do this, it says that he got up early in the morning. Early in the morning. And I don't know how much sleep he got that night, but he got up early in the morning. And they traveled three days. So it was a long three days. You go on vacation somewhere and you're having so much fun. And then it's the next to the last day. And you're like, ugh. This is the last day. Taking your kids back to school, have fun, but then that time to leave. When I think about what happens here, I think Abraham might get the worst dad of the year award, and maybe God too. Can we just be honest to say that this makes us want to, to push God away a little bit? When he asks us to, to do something like this, our, our first reaction is to ask him why. Why? And I don't think it's wrong to ask God why. But there's a qualifier. Because if you're asking why, but you're going to do it anyway, whether he answers you or not, whether you agree with his answer, you're going to do it, but you ask him why. That's one thing. But if you're asking God why, because his explanation has to be given to you that is sufficient for you before you'll do it. That's a very big difference. And this is what we do inside, you know. 
We want explanations. But Christians are supposed to live by promises, not explanations. God may explain himself, he may not. But we have to trust him. Now, the question I had had was, you know, how old is Isaac at this point? We don't know. We know he's, he's big enough to carry the wood on his back. Um, he's old enough to know what a burnt offering is. And this chapter ends with God's declaration there in, in verses 17 and 18, talking about the descendants that are going to come through Isaac. So we know that he hasn't gotten married. He doesn't have any kids yet. So he's somewhere in between there. But he's not a little bitty kid anymore. And so we focus so much attention on what Abraham's doing, but just think about what Isaac is doing. Isaac is going to find himself laying on top of a pile of wood. You know. In verse 14 it says, uh, this is a name for God, it's called Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord will provide. You may have heard that phrase before. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. In the Old Testament there are seven other compound names given to God. And I have them here. Um, I don't know that I'm going to say these words right, but Jehovah Rofelka means the Lord heals you. Jehovah Nisa, which means my banner. Jehovah Shalom means our peace. Jehovah Roi means my shepherd. This is the hard one. Jehovah Sedekinu, something like that, means our righteousness. And the final one is Jehovah Shama. And uh, when I read that, it made me laugh because when we went to New York to see Zachary, uh, we took a shuttle. We were going to eat dinner at this restaurant one evening, and we took a boat that kind of bounces along the, the shores of Manhattan. And uh, we, were, <laughs> we were doing that, Julie and I, and so it was at night, it was real pretty, and um, the boat would hit these big waves and just woo, woo, like this, you know, but it was really cold, the wind was blowing in our face, and... Uh, Julie started singing, Shama, Shama, El Malcolm, Mama. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen Barefoot in the Park, so you won't get that. But, um, it was a, it's a story of a, a married couple that go out on a very wild night in New York City because they're very refined, very conservative people, and they find themselves in the middle of a... They end up going to, a, I think, a Turkish restaurant, and that was one of the songs they were singing. So uh, she said, Shama, Shama, reminded me of that. So Jehovah Shama is telling us that God is present. So God heals us. God is our banner. He is our peace. He is our shepherd. He is our righteousness. And he is present. What bothers us the most about this story is that God would tell Abraham to do something so terrible. And so I would like to say two things. First one is that Isaac didn't die. We don't know this at this point yet, but later God is going to make it very clear to us that he is against child sacrifice and that it disgusts him. He's repulsed by that. So at no point was God wanting him to sacrifice Isaac. It was a test. Deuteronomy 12.31 tells us this, that... God is opposed, is disgusted by child sacrifice. Isaac didn't die. 
But the second thing is that while this was happening, God was doing two things at the same time. He was testing Abraham. And so that's really central to this passage because it's, it's showing Abraham experiencing a test. And, you know, God's not going to really ask any of us to do anything this, like of this nature because of the one other thing that he's doing here, uh, which is creating a picture for us of what God did for us on the cross. It's a picture of what he was going to do in the future. But at the same time, we don't want to lose the fact that the, the major point here is that Abraham is a, living a life of faith. And it's a life that is spent trusting God. And you find yourself in a situation that you can't explain. It doesn't seem reasonable. doesn't seem logical. You can't see how any of this is going to work out. And so we see Abraham walking through that. And so we see this as an example to help us when we find ourselves in a spot. So uh, what is repulsive, what defies logic, what goes against everything uh, that we are about this story? I mean, if sometimes we just take a Bible story and we just, Jonah got swallowed by a great fish and the fish spat him out once, they, once Jonah got his mind right. And, okay, and then he goes to Nineveh. You know, you just kind of, you just kind of accept it. Um, it. We all know it's a miracle and we believe it, but here we just have to slow down and just realize that God is asking Abraham to do something that is just awful, this awful thing. What kind of a God would ask him to do something like that? It's so drastic and just this, I can't think of too many other worse things that you could ask someone to do. You know, why, why would this happen? Why This goes against everything that we are and everything that we think God is. And that's why it helps us to understand what it is that God did for us on the cross. The fact that we are repulsed and withdraw at the, this thought helps us. It creates, I don't think there's even a more vivid picture in the Bible of the cross. Verse 13, it says that the ram was sacrificed in place of his son. And you know, unlike Abraham, no one was there to stop God the Father. There's nobody there to grab his hand. In a parable, there are different characters and what, what the Bible wants us to do, what God asks us to do when we read a parable, is to look at the different characters and figure out which one of them we are. And when you know you're the one of them, you may not want to be that one anymore. But we're one of the characters in the play. And so in this story, there's Abraham and there's Isaac. And we have to ask ourselves, would we have been that way? You know, Isaac completely trusted his dad. Completely, obviously. And then there's Jesus. He's also here too. It helps us to see what Jesus did. What would Jesus do? That comes from Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps. It was uh, something that became famous now, but it was actually published in 1897. We know what Jesus would do because we know what Jesus has done. And then this incredible passage closes with this lineage. And uh, uh, this, this, this lineage that seems to not be too 
uh, related to everything. But it's incredibly related because while all of these things are happening, God lets us know that he is in the process of bringing Rebecca to Isaac. So let's pray.